This is episode 187 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. This episode goes back to Women's Camp 2016 with Carrie Patterson. This is session one from Friday night. joking. I went to her workshop. Okay, the workshops, can I just say, are amazing. Do not be tempted to skip your workshops tomorrow, okay? They are incredible. So, y'all though, can I just move this real quick, worship girls? I don't want to mess up your chords, but I'm not going to sing. I'm just, I'm going to look down and be like, Jesus paid it all? No, that's not what I'm supposed to say. And I'm, I might need to just hop over this drum. I'm a little too crazy here. Hi, I am so glad to be back. I did the crazy lady happy dance when I got the email from Angie saying, would you come back this year? I was like, yes, I would love to come back. I'm so happy to be here. I loved being here last year. Um, I'm thrilled to be here this year. Is that okay? Something wrong? Oh, sure, a little higher. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's. I have no idea what it is. This is what my mailbox is like. It's like ready to fall down. Um, but yeah, so I am thrilled to be back here. Like she said, there's not really anything else to say about me. I'm married to a. I'm always like, I'm not a pastor's wife. I'm just married to a pastor. <laughs> so I don't like all the connotations that come along with that. Like any of those, like resist all that stuff. But um, I have a couple kids. I don't really think there's anything else to say about me, um, but I'm up from the Portland area, and I'm just so thrilled to be back this year. So thank you for letting me um, come here. I We're talking about As You Go, right? That fabulous graphic um, that actually a friend of mine, Lauren, made. So fun to find out the connection there. Um, as you go where mission meets life and we're going to be going through the book of matthew so if you want to kind of put your thumb there in your bible um we're not going to go don't worry like verse by verse through the whole thing but that's kind of going to be our anchor is the book of matthew um that's where we're going to go but first of all i i love what uh michelle said about just feeling like it was basically a, a no small miracle just to get here right and that is how i feel i feel like trying to get this many women all in one place when we're leaving behind like ten thousand children pretty much probably between all of us somewhere along that line yes and husbands and homes and jobs and commitments and getting all of our bases covered is like an act of congress to get all of these things taken care of right and I feel like there are so many things that come up at the last minute, right? So many obstacles and so many interruptions, okay? Interruptions. And I don't know about you, did anybody else have some, like, major old interruptions going on trying to, can I just get a real hand? Like, did anybody have, yes, something like, we call it a sitch. That's what my friend Ian called it. She goes, we got a situation. <laughs> we got a sitch going on, and we're going to need some backup, right? And the situation, and I had some situations going on this week, too, and you probably did. I know um, one girlfriend, my sweet friend Alicia, who came with me, 
she had um, a little baby girl get pneumonia. Of course, of course she got pneumonia two days before women's camp and spends the day in the ER while her husband's in, camp in Kansas. Of course, of course she did. And then my other friend Candy, she, that she that's here, she fainted, of course, so had to go in and have an EKG on her heart. Of course she did, right, of course. The friend that she came with had a root canal. Of course she did, it's a great week, right? Let's just have a root canal this week, why not? It's like the things that happen, right? The interruptions that come up just trying to get here are crazy. If we went around the room and shared them all, we would be laughing our heads off, right? At the craziness of it. I also had um, quite a few interruptions, you could call them, um, on my way here this week. You may remember that last year, it just so happened that my family had a camping trip. And so we were camping the whole week going up to Tadmore and they just dropped me off afterwards. Well, it just so happened that that same camping trip was scheduled again this year. I don't plan these dates, people. I just show up when they tell me to show up. Um, and so same thing. Okay, so, we, so this means you know, planning a week ahead for camp instead of, so it's packing last Sunday for this. And so we had the week, we left Monday, early Monday morning, so we had the week camping and then it happened to be near here. And so they just dropped me off. This year, thankfully, I planned ahead a little bit more. So I had shampoo. <laughs> and last year it was like, not a pretty set. And I showed up, I was like, can I have a hair dryer and some shampoo? Like, I was just, oh boy. But, um, Wait a little bit ahead, but of course, um, you know, while we're camping and I'm just, okay, God, just a week to just be quiet and just be with the Lord. Let's just calm, you know, of course, some of you are just like, yeah. Um, we had some interruptions, right? One of them was we get there Monday um, and Tuesday. We're doing great. I'm doing a little Bible study with my mom and my aunt. My whole family's there. My brother from out of state, uh, kids, cousins, all there. Um, and we get a call on Tuesday um, at 10 a.m. that my grandma passed away, oh. my last grandparent. Um, and so, you know, my dad is there, and, and all of a sudden, everything's different now, right? And now it's, we're grieving, and now it's surrounding my dad, and now it's, the day has completely changed. It's phone calls, right? I mean, logistics even. The body, where's the burial? Who's gonna do the service? obituary. I mean, you, you've walked through this, right? And so the day is now laughing and crying, just intermittently, constant, right? You know, walking through your one minute, you're just telling stories, and my dad's telling all the things he remembers about her, and the next minute we're crying, and the next minute we're praying, and the next minute we're crying and laughing and then praying again. And that was the day, right? It was like, okay. And, and we go to bed that night, and you know that feeling is good, but you're absolutely exhausted. You know, your eyes are just burning, and you're happy, and you're full, but you're like, I just got to get in my bed. And so we fall asleep, and we get a good night's sleep, and we get up in the morning, we're like, okay, I'm like, okay, a normal day. Let's just, you know, settle down, a normal day. And we're sitting around the fire, and I'm talking to my dad about my grandma, get some stories. And some people come up, we're boating. My dad has a boat and he moors the boat down to boat dock. Some of you have been there, Sunnyside County Park down at, at Foster, that's where we're. And some people come up from the dock and they say, hey, you guys got a, got a boat down there at the, at the moorage? And my dad says, yeah. And he says, you might want to go check it out. Somebody vandalized all the boats. Like, Never happened. We've been going there 18 years. I'm like, oh no, but it's still a wakeboard. You know, I'm thinking through all these different things. 
And so the guys, my husband, my dad, my brother, they take off, you know, and they go down to the boat dock. I'm thinking through, oh man, yeah, I hope they didn't steal, whatever. And they come back up and their faces are kind of just like, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, did they steal anything? Jeff's like, they stole the boat. <laughs> they stole the boat. The whole boat is gone. What? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. What on earth? They're like, the boat is gone. <laughs> like, what? I'm like, okay, so today the boat, you know? My dad's like, my mom just died, my boat. <laughs> She's like, what? And then my husband's like, I remember my husband's crazy runner. He runs all the time. He'd gotten up super early in the morning, got up this long run, ran around the lake. And when he was all the way on the other side of the lake, this remote corner, he had needed to go pee. And so he went in the woods. Y'all know what you guys do. And he went down in the woods near the lake and he looked over. And in this remote corner, he saw a boat like up on the, the shore. And he goes, that kind of looks like Bill's boat. So he's like, well, probably not. But he goes, I'll just take a picture of it. It's kind of cool. he comes back. So now he goes, I think I know where the boat is, right? So now, my dad and my brother and my husband are like in hero mode, right? You know, right? And they're like, let's go, right? Let's go. And they load in the car and my, you know, they squeal off whatever. And we're like, keep the same, you know? And uh, they go off and sure enough, they found the boat ditched on a corner of the lake full of loot. Oh. M.M.s, wakeboards, stereo equipment, boat batteries, stereo, like uh, 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 fishing gear, you name it. I mean, they had looted everything, loaded it up, and then, I don't know, right? My husband had prayed on the way there, let them be lazy and sleep in so we can get to the boat before they come back. was returning all of the stolen goods back to all the people that had got, you know, Jim Core battery, what did you have? Fishing pole, calling the police, the police had to come, swab the whole boat, interrogate my dad. I mean, that was the day, right? We're like, wow, oh, okay, so day two, stolen boat. Like, what's tomorrow gonna hold, right? I am telling you, interruptions, okay? Thankfully, most of the rest of the week was, was somewhat tame. I, I, I did have, I was so happy because this year my kids were, we have a hard time leaving each other, okay? I love me and my babies. They're not really babies anymore. Nine and a half, seven. Um, but this year we were doing okay, no tears. And right before we go, my husband has to close up the tent trailer and slams, gets on it, slams down the top of the tent trailer to crank it shut. And my daughter had put her thumb oh. <laughs> crushed the thumb. Purple, swollen, sobbing, and then of course it turns into, Mommy, I don't want you to go this weekend. <laughs> Tell them to reschedule. <laughs> now, anyway, so all that to say, I'm just saying, right? We all got the stuff, okay? I got deaths and steel boats, stolen boats, and you got stuff, right? Constant interruptions. That is the norm. Really, the norm is that stuff stitches. We got situations, right? They're constantly happening. Life is full of interruptions. Okay? We are talking about the Great Commission this weekend. We're talking about Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is the, we call it the Great Commission. It's kind of a biggie. If you turn there, I'll just read it to you in case it's new to you, in case it's not new to you. It's good to just refresh ourselves. 
And let me just pray over us one more time as we're opening God's word. Father, thank you for your faithfulness this week. Through all of the situations, Lord, thank you for faithfully bringing us here tonight. And I ask, we just humbly ask, Father, that you would open your scriptures to us and breathe life on us and help us to see what you want to see with spiritual eyes and spiritual ears and open our hearts to receive from you in Jesus' name. We read in Matthew 28, 18, this is after Jesus has, has lived the life that we should have lived and didn't, and he dies the death that we should have died but don't have to. He dies his atoning death for our sins. He, he buries sin and, and, and death in the grave, and then he rises victorious, just like we sang, and he conquers death and he rises from the grave. And then over the course of time, he appears to over 500 people. Right? So it's a, over a span of about 40 days, and I just think, what an amazing time to be alive, right? To see Jesus Christ as risen from the dead, appearing to all of these different people. And right before um, he ascends, he goes back to the Father, he gives what we call the Great Commission, right? He tells us what we're all supposed to do, and he makes it very clear. And he says that he, he came to them, he appeared to them, and he said, All authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the Great Commission. Now, go nerdy with me just for a moment on grammar, and then I promise we'll leave that behind. This isn't going to be a whole grammar weekend. But when we look at this, usually we think of this verse as go. There's really four, four verbs in this, right? Four kind of commands. We've got go, make disciples, teaching, baptizing, first baptizing, teaching. Right? We've got go, make disciples, baptize, teach. Right? Those are the four verbs, the four action words, if you will, in this passage. That makes sense? Now, the interesting thing is because in our English translation of this, just because of chronologically, the first one that we come to is which one? Go, right? So in general, we tend to very heavily focus on the go part, right? We think go make disciples and do stuff, right? Go and make disciples and baptize and teach them to observe, right? Primarily, this verse is taken as a call to leave one's current station, one's current position, and go elsewhere to make disciples. Now, that is awesome. Fabulous. If the Holy Spirit tells you to go somewhere else in order to fully pour out your life and make disciples of all nations, you go, right? And we're gonna talk about that tomorrow. However, the interesting thing, studying this a little bit more, the interesting thing is that the main imperative, okay? Imperative means like a command, okay? Telling you to do something. The main imperative verb of this passage is make disciples. The other three verbs are participles. Okay, are you with me? Or have you glazed over yet? You're like, oh man. Are participles, okay, what is a participle? A participle is a verb that's used as an adjective. 
An adjective is a describing word, okay? So, or it can be used as a noun, but a verb that's used as an adjective. So, an example of this would be um, burned toast. Burn is a verb, action word. It's used as a description of a noun, okay? Are you with me? Okay, a few nods, a few. <laughs> Some of you were doing that. I'm not making that up. <laughs> a little bit of that, but. So, parsable. So, those three, the go, the teach, and the baptize, they are verbs, but they're participle, and they gain their thrust from the main imperative, make disciples. Okay? So, literally, and it's tricky to translate in English, literally it is make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching. Okay? Make disciples, going, baptizing, teaching. In other words, as you go, make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Okay? Going, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. Okay? As you go, hence the name of our time together. Right? As you go, it's almost as if the go is an assumption. Right? You're going to be going somewhere. Right? You're going to be going to your kitchen, to your living room, to your school to your workplace, to the grocery store, to the gas station, to your relative's house, going camping, going to your neighbor's house. You're going to be going a ton of places in life. Everywhere that you go, make disciples. Wherever you go, make disciples. Literally, as you go or going, make disciples. So that's what we are looking at this weekend. Now, specifically, we have four sessions together. And we're going to break it up like this. If you're a note taker, you could write these down. We're going to break it up like this. The first one tonight, number one, is as. That's our big topic for tonight, right? I, I know my tendency to say too much, so we're just going to make it real simple for tonight. As. But each night, each time, I should say, we're also asking questions. So, you know, good um, investigation, good investigation of the scriptures also asks those questions, right? When, how, where, who. We're going to be asking questions. So tonight is as, and we are asking when. When? When are we making disciples? When is this happening? When is the Great Commission supposed to take place? When? Number two, tomorrow morning. You. As you. You kind of are, you're going to see my outline pretty soon here, right? You. As you, tomorrow morning. Asking the question, who? 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 And then tomorrow night. Can anybody guess what the word is for tomorrow night? Yeah, there you go. Some of you are totally tracking. Okay, go. Tomorrow night, go. As you go. The question for tomorrow night is where? Where? Where are these disciples going to be made? And then the big topic, which is talked a lot in the workshops too, I want to say, but Sunday morning, we'll, we'll tackle make disciples, right? We'll tackle all the rest of that Great Commission. So as you go, and then Sunday morning, make disciples. And there, we're going to ask the question, how? Right? Some of you are like, oh, no, I'm not going to be there for Sunday morning. <laughs> kind of a biggie, but how? That is the roadmap for our weekend together. Okay? As you go, make disciples. So tonight, we're looking at as, 
And the question is, when? When does the Great Commission take place? When do I engage in the mission of God? When do I make disciples? When do I dispense? I've been thinking recently about really ministry is just dispensing the divine resources of God. Right? It is allowing the love and the truth and the forgiveness and the power of God to flow through my life to someone else. Right? When do I do that? When do I make disciples? And the answer is, of course, as. As. The answer is as you go, as you live, on the way, in the midst, in the mundane, in the interruptions, in the midst of all that is you and all that is your life, we make disciples as. We don't usually get a timeout very often from ordinary life. We make disciples as. So we're going to look together this weekend at the life of Jesus, and I mentioned we're going to be focusing on the Gospel of Matthew. Okay? There's so many wonderful things in the other Gospels, but just, just for simplicity's sake, we're going to be focusing on the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes, and, and you've, you've heard me say this before, I'm a total broken record with this, but um, just read your Bibles. <laughs> there, I said it. Read your Bibles. I'm going to say that every single time. But um, you know how, and, and for me, I just I just read from my Bible every year. The same, same old thing. I'm kind of a slow and steady wins the race kind of girl. Just like read through it. And then do it again. And then do it again. And then do it again. But the amazing thing I notice is reading through the Bible, I think this is the 18th time going through. And every single time, y'all, you'll see something that you're like, was that there all this time? Right? It's like, how did he hide that from me for all these years? And then now he illuminates your spiritual eyes. And you're like, oh my goodness. So for me this year, the thing that just struck me was reading through the Gospels and realizing and noting down all of the times that you see the phrase came to him. All the times that you see people or circumstances interrupt Jesus. If you do a little fun study, right, and it doesn't work just doing the doing the Bible Gateway thing, which that's great, but it just doesn't work because you don't get the, uh, the clarity of it. If you just go through the Gospels and you look at all the times you see the phrase came to him, it is fascinating. And I'm going to read to you. Just put on your little listening um, ears for a minute. This is just very briefly going through just the Gospel of Matthew. Okay? Listen to this. A leper came to him. A centurion came forward to him. They brought to him all who were sick. A scribe came up to him. There arose before them a great storm. Two demon-possessed men came to him. Some people brought a paralytic to him. He was sitting and eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, and they came to him and reclined with him. The disciples of John came to him and asked him questions. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came to him. While he's talking to Jairus, another woman comes to him and takes his garment with the flow of blood. Two blind men came to him and followed him, shouting after him. A demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him. 
Many followed him and he healed them all. He sat down by the sea, maybe taking a break, and great crowds gathered to him. He went into his house and his disciples came to him privately asking for a parable to be explained. He withdrew to a desolate place, you think, right? And the crowds heard about it and followed him and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. The disciples came to him with the mind-boggling need of needing to feed 5,000 people. They brought to him all who were sick. A Canaanite woman from that region came and cried out to him. The crowds came to him, bringing their lame, blind, crippled, mute, and many others, put them at his feet, and he healed them. The Sadducees and Pharisees came to him and demanded a sign. A man with a demon-possessed son came to him. The tax collectors came to him. The disciples came to Jesus to ask who was the greatest. That wasn't the high moment. Peter came to him and asked how many, how often he had to forgive his brother. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees came up to him again and tested him with questions. The children were brought to him that he would lay hands on them and bless them. A rich young man came up to him asking how he would inherit eternal life. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him asking about her two sons. Two blind men came and cried out and yelled at him as he was passing by. He cleanses the temple and then it says the blind and lame came up to him and he healed them all. He entered the temple and the chief priests and elders of the people came up to him and challenged his teaching and about his authority. The Pharisees plotted how to entangle him and so they sent their disciples and the Herodians to come up to him and ask him about the taxes. The same day, the Sadducees came up to him, testing him about the resurrection. A lawyer came up to him to test him. Are you guys getting irritated just listening, right? Just like, enough, I'm not even done, so hold on. He's walking away from the temple and the disciples come up to him and start talking about the temple. Then they're on the Mount of Olives and the disciples come to him privately asking questions about the end of the age. A woman with an alabaster flask came up to him and breaks it at his feet. The disciples come to him asking where they should eat the Passover. And finally, Judas came to him with great crowds and swords and clubs to betray and arrest him. From the very first moment that he began ministering to the very end when he goes to the cross, virtually everything that Jesus did, he did in response to an interruption. Virtually every person that Jesus ministered to came up to him. Right? He's constantly going from this need to this need to that person's blind. This Pharisee's asking me questions. These disciples are fighting about who's the greatest, right? Can you relate? Right? Back and forth. Every single thing was in response to a needy person, to a question, to a crisis, to an emergency, a mishap, a persecution. It would seem almost that Jesus is just like tossed to and fro, right? dragged back and forth like this, just a slave to the tyranny of the urgent. Anybody else ever felt like that? Right? <clears throat> but no, even I wrote in here, I was telling Angie, I had fun with my notes. I wrote down all the times I was interrupted while writing my, you know, and so one of them is like, Heidi comes up, she's like, can I paint your toenails? I'm like, okay, you know. This one was my son, mommy, I'm hungry. I'm like, 
okay, you know. Interruptions, right? We're all there, we get it. Virtually everything Jesus did, he did in response to interruption, and yet, he was never in a hurry. He's never like, can you see that I'm busy? <laughs> right? He goes off to a desk. Can we just can we just know that Jesus was human for a second? Okay? I get fully God. He goes to a desolate place. Right? He, why? Because he wants to be alone. Just for a moment, right? Have you ever hid in the bathroom? Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay? Ever. Yeah. We could go around and stare at the places we have hid, okay? Just a moment to be alone. And they're like, Jesus, we need you, right? Constant. Constant interruption. Even in, in Matthew 9, when we hear Jairus, right? Jairus, Jairus comes up to him and says, my little daughter, my daughter is sick. She's on the point of death. Okay, I will go with you. He goes with her, and he's on the way. And then what happens, right? This woman, right, grabs the hem of his garment. And what does he say? Get off me. Can't you tell I'm going to heal someone? <laughs> right, he stops, and he stoops. And he ministers to her, and in the meantime, the little girl dies. What? Right? And then he goes and raises her from the dead. It's no big deal. When you have the power of God, right? When you have the power of God, when you're ministering not just your human resources, but divine resources, it didn't matter what interruptions there are. Right? We have the power of God. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says, go! He's not holding all that authority himself. He said, go, I've given you my authority. What? Not so you can wield it around, so you can make disciples. Nothing Jesus did was by accident. Jesus said, I always do the will of the Father. So he was not tossed to and fro. He was not like, oh, where do I go? Do I go there? Do I go there? Right? He was never frazzled. He was never frantic. He was never running from one place to another. And he said, I always do that which pleases my Father. I always do that which pleases my Father. So how was Jesus able to respond to all of these seeming interruptions in such a way that he used every situation as an opportunity for ministry? I think Jesus sees a little different than we see sometimes. I would suggest that when we see interruption, he sees opportunity. When we see interruption, Jesus sees opportunity. See, interruption and opportunity are really just two sides of the same coin. Right? Two sides of the same coin. What the enemy means for harm, God always means for good. Everything that the enemy means for harm, God means for good. When God redeems a situation... He does it so completely that it looks like he caused the situation in the first place. Right? Have you ever just been baffled by something like that? You're like, this was so evil, but God made it so good that it kind of seems like he caused the evil. Right? We weren't meant to figure that stuff out, by the way. Right? He's so much bigger than us, but he so thoroughly redeems every situation. There's nothing that he cannot redeem. So there is no interruption so evil that God cannot flip it on its head and use it for his glory and our good and to make disciples. Every interruption. There is no interruption that cannot be used as an opportunity for ministry. Right? 
Let's look together, in fact, at the definitions of opportunity and interruption, if you will. <laughs> look this up. It's very fun. An opportunity is a circumstance that makes something, makes it possible to do something, okay? An opportunity is a circumstance that makes it possible to do something. So a circumstance that comes up that allows you to do something. So a job opportunity is a circumstance, a job that opens up, is available, that gives you the opportunity to then have a job. Okay? That's how we use that word, opportunity. A circumstance that allows you to do something. An interruption is a circumstance that makes it impossible to do something. Okay? A circumstance... Um, an interruption is a circumstance that prevents you from doing something. Could it be that in every interruption, there is an opportunity to minister, to grow, to make disciples? If we could see the way that Jesus sees, is it possible that in every interruption, there is an opportunity to do something? I am prevented from doing one thing, and by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I am then enabled to do something else, or to do that thing and overcome. Right? Is it possible that in every interruption, there is an opportunity? See, I think that Jesus saw life not as a victim, but as a victor. Okay? A victim sees everything that comes up as an interruption. Oh, that thing kept me from having that opportunity. Oh, that person got in my way. Oh, this thing happened and I couldn't do it. Oh, that thing kept me from being who I was supposed to be. Oh, right? A victim seems, sees everything that comes up as almost oh, keeping me from doing what I should do or I want to. A victor sees every one of those things as, I wonder how God is going to glorify himself in this situation and how he wants to use me to build his kingdom and make disciples. <clears throat> Jesus came into the world as a victor, right? He already knew the end of the story, right? He knew he was going to win. He knew he was going to conquer death. He knows the end of the story, and we do too. So we are allowed to also be more than conquerors, Right to reign in life, scripture says, we are able to enter life not as a victim, oh no, these things don't happen to me, but as a victor, anything that arises, God will give me the supernatural wisdom and power to use this circumstance as an opportunity to make disciples and bring glory to God. If he could give us the mind of Christ to see that way, to see every interruption as an opportunity that arises. Now, I am not merely talking here, right, about like looking on the right side. Y'all, right? Okay, I'm not just like, oh, just, there's a silver lining, you know? It's not that, right? We're not playing games. This isn't just like, well, if you just think happy thoughts, it will just be okay, right? It, no, right? The Great Commission is way too important to just be like, look on the bright side. This is about seeing with spiritual eyes and having the mind of Christ to see into the spiritual realm and know how am I supposed to use this situation that looks like an interruption and use it as an opportunity to minister. That is what Jesus did. Right? That is what Jesus did. So how do we know? 
right? How do we know? How do we know how to respond? How do we know? My my girlfriend, sorry, I'm going to use you as an, as an illustration. My girlfriend who had a husband in Kansas, and she's got a baby with pneumonia. And I texted her. I'm like, please know that we were, she was coming. We were doing this together this weekend. I said, please know if you cannot be there this weekend, it's totally fine, girl. You've got family stuff going on. It'll be a-okay. Don't feel pressure. And she said, I, I prayed, and I knew, I knew that God wanted me to be here this weekend, that he would take care of those things, and that I should push through and continue on this path, right? Sometimes, though, circumstances come up, and it's like, okay, I think this is supposed to keep me here. How do we know? Right? That's the, how, how do I know if this thing, how do I know if I'm being derailed, or if I'm being bumped over onto the right track? You know what I'm talking about? How do I know these things? Well, we need massive quantities of discernment. Right? We need wisdom. We need enormous doses of spiritual wisdom and discernment, right? All of a sudden, wisdom is really important <laughs> when we realize that we can be duped into thinking that we're having an interruption when really this is an opportunity, right? I can tell you there were more amazing gospel opportunities on my week this week camping than we have ever had in our family. We had prayer times together. We had times of breaking down walls. There were things that were accomplished in the spiritual realm that we had been praying and fasting over that would not have been accomplished unless there was something as significant as a death in the family or a stolen boat, right? To help facilitate those things. When we can see with those spiritual eyes and go, something's going on here. <laughs> and how do I, you know, how do I lead? How do I make disciples in every situation? Seeing every opportunity, we need massive amounts of discernment. I believe this is why Paul prayed in Colossians 1. I'll just read it to you, but a very fun study, um, if you've never done it, but a really fun study, is just to study the prayers of Paul, right? Because, like, sometimes I'm like, I love to, I, I'm learning, I should say I'm learning to love to pray, um, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know, how, I don't know what to pray. I'm just going to pray what Paul prayed, right? It's probably pretty safe to stick with what he prayed. His prayers were pretty effective. This is one of my very favorites. I pray this over our church body. I pray this over myself, my friends. Uh, Philippians 1 and Ephesians 3 are other super goodies. So if you want to go look those up. Um, but Colossians 1, 9 and 10, specifically, Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking, like, what was he asking? Let's listen. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Yes. That is what I want, right? I want the knowledge of his will. I want to know what the right thing to do is in this situation. The knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Yes. I need a knowledge of his will, and I need spiritual wisdom and understanding in massive quantities in order to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Who did Jesus please his entire life? The Father. Who is the only person we need to please in our entire life? The Father. How do I fully please him? 
I'm going to need knowledge of his will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. We desperately need discernment. Every day we need to ask the Father, help me to walk through this day with spiritual wisdom and understanding that I will be able to respond to every interruption and see it as an opportunity for the gospel. We need understanding of his will, not just we don't need more facts and more Bible trivia. Right? Like, it's cool if we know who the oldest person in the Bible was. Or, you know, there's all kinds of fun facts to know. We really need to know his heart. We need to know his will. Right? We need to know how he wants us to put one foot in front of the other when there's, like, constantly traps set for us. Right? How do we maneuver? We need spiritual wisdom and understanding. We do not need the world's wisdom. Right? Can I have time? Let me check on this. The world's wisdom is deadly, okay? Why is the world's wisdom so deadly? Because it is so close to the real thing, right? James 3 talks about this. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? I want to be wise and understanding. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in what? Meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is meek. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be be false to the truth. So jealousy, selfish ambition. Ding, 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 but that is not God's wisdom. Right? Wherever those things exist, we know we have fallen prey to the world's wisdom. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual. Paul goes so far as to, excuse me, James goes so far as to say demonic. The world's wisdom is demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition, he says it again, jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. We need to attend to our hearts and ask God for spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not the wisdom of this world. We need his spiritual eyes to see every interruption as his opportunity. This is what we need to know. Now, two specific things that I believe Jesus knew If we need wisdom, that's sort of our umbrella, okay? We need spiritual wisdom and understanding, all right? What was it specifically that Jesus knew that enabled him to live out this life, not torn to and fro, but responding to every situation as an opportunity for the gospel? I believe two things. He knew his master, and he knew his mission. He knew his master, and he knew... His mission. It is profoundly insightful, I believe, when we hear Jesus say, I always do what pleases my Father. That was his compass. I always do what pleases the Father. When Jesus speaks of walking carefully, intentionally, and purposely, he is not talking about merely obeying the rules or just getting it right. You know what I mean? It's not about picking the right door, right? Like God is not Bob Barker. Okay, now it's not like three doors and he's putting you on the test and it's like, okay, better pick the right one. It's like, ah, you know, did I pick the right one? Ding, ding, ding. 
choice. Jesus says, I just want to please my Father. He is not talking about picking the right answer. He is talking about a relationship. Jesus is talking about, I want to personally please my Father. He is modeling for us what godliness, what discipleship, what faithfulness is really all about. Paul is praying for us to personally please our Father, right? Religion will always tell us to just follow the rules. You just go back to your rule list, right? And if you just follow the rules, then that will be, you'll be fine. But our relationship compels us to please our loving Father. Right? Guilt and fear motivate religious obedience, right? I gotta behave, I gotta do it right, and I gotta not mess up. I gotta pick the right door. I have no idea which one, but I'm gonna take a stab at it, right? Love motivates relationally inspired obedience. Father, I just want to follow in your footsteps. There's still rules often, right? It's like, don't go there because that's not the best place for you. Here's where I want you to go. But if we merely follow the rules without cultivating this love relationship with our Father, we will be religious slaves, riddled by fear, trying to pick the right door or the right path. Fulfilling our mission is not about following the list of things to do. It is about listening to the voice of our loving Father. This is, this is the way. the inner guidance of the Holy Spirit, walking in step with him. Jesus knew his master, and his master was also his dad. Our master is also our dad. We can say that, right? That's not all it means. It's just, the, it's just the simplest, lowliest, daddy, papa, whatever you want to say. My kids say, dad of God. Dad of God, right? He's our dad of God. Do you know your father? Do you know your Father, your Heavenly Father? In order to more fully understand our purpose here on earth, our calling, where on earth we are called to make disciples, what that's going to look like, how we respond to interruptions, in order to have this crystal clear focus on your mission, we need to know our Father first. We need to know our master. Immerse yourself in God's presence. Immerse yourself in God's word. Immerse yourself in prayer with him to know his voice. If we just jump straight to our mission without first knowing our father, we will just become tired out, worn out, slaves, driven, trying to pick the right door. Immerse ourselves personally, intimately, relationally, deeply into our relationship with our father. All that we do, our destiny, our calling, the understanding of the good works that have been prepared in advance. You guys know this, right? Ephesians 2 said that good works have already been prepared in advance that we would walk in them. How do we know what those good works are? I would get to know the one that prepared them, right? He's the one that wove them together. He's the one that planned them before the foundations of the world. He's the one that knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows my personality. He knows my intellect. He knows everything about me. If I get to know him, he will make it clear to me. Now, number two, and we're going to be talking about this more um, tomorrow night, but number two, Jesus knew his mission. 
He knew his father intimately. He'd been with him since the creation, since eternity passed, right? He knew him and he knew his mission. Do we know our mission? Specifically, Matthew 20, 18 says, Go therefore, as you go, make disciples. That is why we are here, make disciples. Our mission is what informs our perspective on what is an interruption and what is an opportunity. Right? Our mission gives us that crystal clear focus. Now, we have our, our overarching big M mission, right? That is make disciples. Okay? And then we've probably got in your in your life and my life too, we've got like daily, like little M missions, right? It's little lowercase M missions, right? That is like clean my house, right? Or like get my chores done, or teach my kids, or somehow tame this craziness that I have going on in my home, fold my laundry, go to work, whatever it is, right? I've got all these little admissions, and those are good, and those are a very necessary part of life. That's the mundane, right? But all my little admissions all funnel into and find their meaning in the great admission, right? The big admission. All of these things find their significance. Do you remember the participles? find their thrust in the main imperative command. Remember where that you glazed over during that part? All of our little admissions find their thrust, find their power, find their focus, find their passion and their purpose and their meaning in our big M mission. So how do I do these things in such a way that I am carrying out the Great Commission in everything that I do? Because we got life going on. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I don't have a lot of time to be completely separate from like the stuff. Right? Kids, I'm homeschooling them. I got, I just got situations going on all the time, right? So how do we make disciples in the midst? How do we see everything as an opportunity for making disciples? We're going to talk more about that all weekend. This is just a little taste. First, I just want to give you three closing thoughts for preparing to do this. Okay? Not a lot. I told you. Only as. Just preparing tonight. As. Three things. Practical things. The first one is this. Identify your territory. Identify where has God called you to live on your mission field. Okay? It is awesome to talk about, I'm going on the mission field. That is awesome. And, and please hear my heart in all this. When I say this, I'm, I love that. If you are called to go overseas, yes, I am cheering you on and I am sending money your way, right? Yes, 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 yes. However, I want us to see the mission field. Where is God called your mission field today? Outline your territory. And I actually, I mean, like, literally. Like, I did this, it was fun. I pulled up um, Google Maps on my computer, and I charted out all of the places I go. I had this really fun idea. I was going to make you this graphic, and we were going to look at it together, and I didn't do it because this week, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who had time? So I didn't do that. So I'll just tell you. So draw, I drew a picture on Google Maps around my territory, right? So I live in a place called Beaver Creek, and our church is up uh, here a little ways in Oregon City. And then um, my parents live down this way a little bit. I, I go there a lot in the law. And then I've got my son plays baseball down in Butte Creek and then over in Hubbard. And then I've got, you know, the places I go, we've got our elders and their wives are kind of in a circle all around the city like this. And I just kind of went like this and drew lines around all the places I go, right? And this is my territory. 
this is my territory, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, in the name of Jesus, this is where he has called me to bring the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. So wherever I go, I am going to bring the rule and reign, the love and truth of Jesus Christ, Lord willing, wherever I go. And that is going to look different in every situation. When I'm at the store, or when I'm at my neighbors, or when I'm with my parents, or when I'm at a, a baseball game, wherever I am, this is my territory. But marking it out as my territory helps me to be more minded of how the Lord strategically wants to use me in this area. Does that make sense? If you look at, it was fun, I did this too, if you look at the life of Christ, and you sort of just look at a map of Israel, and then you kind of chart out, like, Galilee is up here, and you've got Jerusalem. I know it's backwards for you. Galilee is up here, Jerusalem, you've got uh, the Dead Sea down there. And if you just follow chronologically his life and you chart it, it's kind of fun. It's like, it's not just like this straight line, you know? It's like, you know, just like, it's really fun. It's like, he was doing the same thing. He was doing the same thing I do. That was his territory. Right? Jesus ministered in a really small area. Right? I mean, that's just a side note, but y'all, you go to Israel and you're like, that's it? I mean, it's like the size of Oregon, right? I mean, it's even smaller. It's really small. It's like, that's all? He did? You know? That was his territory. And he turned the world upside down by being faithful to make disciples in his territory. I gotta move on. I'm going too long. Okay, so identify your territory. Number two. Number two, primer your life each morning. Okay, this is kind of nerdy, but you know what primer is, right? We just recently moved into a house that had horrendous wall colors, and so we had to do some paint, okay? We had to do some painting. And you know when you paint, what do you do first? You're supposed to do first. I usually skip this step. You're supposed to primer, right? You're supposed to primer, and it's like the not fun step because it doesn't look pretty, and it feels like this is such a waste of my time. But you do it in order to make the final coat, the final color that you see, be accurate, right? Be, be beautiful, be what it's supposed to be. And so you primer it so that it's prepared for anything else, whatever other code comes on. The way that we primer our lives each morning, and again, it's kind of, I think Mark Batterson was the first person I heard mention this, but I love the, the thinking of this because I don't know what this day is gonna hold. Right, just this morning in my scriptures, I was like, I recognize Lord Jesus as I was praying that I don't know what all is gonna take place this weekend. There could be real hard things. There could be great things. I expect you for, I expect great things. I don't know. So I primer my life in the word of God. And I will steep, there goes my pen, I will steep in your word. And I will spend time in prayer. And I will worship you. And I will put on the primer coat of being with you so that I am ready for whatever comes my way that day. So that I am ready to see every situation as an opportunity to make disciples and minister in the name of Jesus. This is similar to 1 Peter 1.13 where he says, prepare your minds for action. I love that, right? I think literally it means, I'm looking at this girl, I know, I know she knows Greek. I think literally it means like gird up the loins of your mind, right? Y'all know what that means, right? It's like pick up your skirt and you're like ready to run. I always think of this, sorry, but I always think of this like, girls put on your sports bra, okay? <laughs> All right, we're going running today. We got work to do. You get yourself ready, okay? Get ready. Your mind, primer your life to go. I'm getting my head in the game, and I am ready for whatever you have called me to do today. And the last thing, it's very similar. The last thing is get dressed for the occasion. Get dressed 
for the occasion. What you wear prepares you for an occasion. Have you ever noticed how you act a little bit different based on what you're wearing? Like if you are wearing a formal gown, you kind of like walk different, right? Is it just me? I mean, like, I noticed I don't wear lipstick anymore because I noticed back in the day, if I ever wore lipstick, I smiled different, right? I would be like, Give up on that trend, right? Me and lipstick don't go together. But it changes, that was any side note, I'm sorry. But it changes how you act. You're wearing sweats and you sit different. You do things different based on what you are wearing. It influences you, right? Scripture tells us to get dressed, not physically necessarily, although that we can be dressed for godliness too. But get dressed spiritually for the occasion. Ephesians 4 tells us, right? You can write it down. You can look it up later. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 says, put off the old self. Right? Is there anybody else? I mean, I've got to do this. Please tell me I'm not alone. I've got to. There are some battles I am fighting in different areas. I have to get up and go, no, Kari, you don't think like that anymore. You don't think you're a victim. You don't think it's all about you. You don't think in your selfish, prideful way. You put that off, and you put on the new self that is being made into the image of who? God. Jesus Christ. I am going to put on the mind of Christ, and I am going to think his thoughts. I am going to prepare myself for what he has for me that day. The same is true in Colossians 3. I'm going to read this one to you because I love it so much, and I put it up um, on my wall. And it says, wear these six things every day. And it says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Here's what we need to put on. Compassion. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. <coughs> we cannot, we talk about making disciples and it sounds like, like a business transaction, right? It sounds like if we just have the right method or we just have this really great discipleship curriculum, that'll be great. You know what? If we don't have these things on, because we're talking about people, we're talking about relationships. And so if I don't have compassion, when this person does something crazy, I'm going to be like, later. Instead, I want to put on compassion and meekness so that I can meet that needy person with the love and the resources of Jesus, and I can disciple them. Right? That is what Jesus did. I've got to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love. This is a small but important step, recognizing that discipleship, the Great Commission, happens as. It happens in the midst. It happens in the midst of interruptions. It happens as you go. It happens on the way. And my responsibility is to be fully prepared, gird up the loins of my mind, put on the new self, put on compassion, patience, love, Primer my life with the word of God and steep in his presence so that I am prepared to respond to every interruption as an opportunity to glorify God and make disciples of Jesus. Amen? So this weekend, practice that. You have questions. 
Um, you have a little work it out thing that you're going to go over later, but you have questions to discuss amongst yourselves. But your homework is just this, okay? We're not even talking about, well, what do I do when I meet with someone? We'll get there. Right now, think about how do I prepare my mind and pray through, God, give me the discernment to see every interruption as an opportunity to minister your love and your truth and your grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.